Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 100 of the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm Nolan. Nolan. 100 episodes that's pretty crazy that is crazy i you know and i i knew it was coming but i guess it just didn't dawn on me until dom fan of the show and of course my brother made the comment that that was happening this weekend and i mean obviously i number the episodes so i should have known and but if you think about you know 100 episodes that's that's two years of us doing this doesn't feel that long i guess exactly um but I do think it's interesting when we look back on what we've done over the last two years and, you know, went from three of us to two of us and, you know, our first episodes, <laughs> I think about the format that we had in our first episodes. And if you weren't listening or watching our stream, you had no clue what the hell we were talking about. That's true. So I do feel like we've, you know, we've had a format change. Uh, we definitely have increased our, our not increased, but improved our technology and recording. And I think we're, de- we're putting out a better quality show now. You know, it used to be all of our focus was on Dungeons and Dragons. We've expanded that. We've brought in other games. We've brought in writers. We've brought in developers. We've, we've just been having fun. Yeah. So I, I'm really curious, you know, because typically you let me do all the talking sometimes. What are your thoughts on the last 100 episodes? I think it's been a lot of fun. It's been nice to look at a bunch of different games, uh, see the community uh, involved in those games, um, mostly because I was pretty much, I mean, I'm probably just more of a mainstream player. Um, I play D&D. I like video games. So usually I'm kind of on the uh, whatever's new and exciting coming out so I can burn through it, get the story and move on. So it's been nice to dive into some a little bit more complex games, a little less known games. Yeah, I think mostly just meeting people. I think that's been kind of the fun part of getting to meet some of the the writers, developers, uh, and creators behind some really awesome games that have kind of opened my eyes to you can really, if there's something you're into, it's probably a game out there that you can find if you look just a little bit harder. So yeah, just getting pigeonholed into stuff. I mean, I, I would have never guessed that there's a game like Pugmire. Um not necessarily for me as far as that goes but i can i can see the appeal of having the animals it reminds me of like the red wall series never knew it existed um seeing some of these other cool games that are coming out as well uh like the uh dishonored series having having a game i really enjoyed that video game seeing conan coming out and back around and, and being not necessarily popular again but maybe for the next generation um i really enjoyed the altered carbon book the, the future of that one looks pretty exciting with the cyberpunk. So again, getting outside of my comfort zone and seeing some new games and, and meeting new people has probably been the best part. I, you know, I completely agree with you. It has been enlightening. Um, there was definitely games that I knew about, but by title only uh, call of Cthulhu being one of them. And I was able to talk to a couple of people about that game and, and I've played call of Cthulhu once, but not never dove into it like really read the books or anything so it's really neat to, to experience that and some of the chronicles of darkness games and, and and even diving deeper into like we're doing currently uh, some of the world of darkness games 
Uh, I like seeing all these indie developers for Dungeons and Dragons, especially where we're, we're getting to see, um, you know, people like the guys over at Bite Size Gaming. Um, I shouldn't say the guys, the folks over at Bite Size Gaming, which they're, you know, constantly creating new stuff. Um, so it's been really neat to see that, you know, before when I think about like much year, many years ago when I was buying RPGs that it was, you know, go to the game store, pick up whatever new release from the company was. Now with with the advent of Kickstarter and the open gaming licenses, you know, we're getting to see some really neat developers producing some stuff that probably otherwise we would have never gotten to see because they would have just produced it for their, their home groups. And we're able to tell their stories and get that information out there and share that with all of our listeners, which that has been probably the most rewarding part for me. So, all right. So we do have a topic of the day, but before we do that, like I always do, Nolan, how is your weekend? Did you do anything exciting? It really hasn't been that exciting of a weekend. It's, uh, it's been really hot uh, and not a lot of fun to be outside with all the smoke and everything like that. So it, it's been pretty quiet. Getting ready to back to school, getting the house cleaned up. I think we finally got... All of our chores cut up, so hopefully today is a free day to uh, nerd out, read a book, do something other than work. So pretty quiet. Fair. That's fair. I spent, of course, yesterday working, and like you said, it's just been miserably hot. We've been over well over 100 degrees the last couple of days, and here in northeastern Wyoming, we are catching a lot of the smoke from the California wildfires. And, and to everybody in California, please be safe. I know, I mean, as a volunteer firefighter, I know what wildfires can do, so make sure you're you're being careful and if they tell you to evacuate get out of there do not be those people who say oh no i'll be fine so yeah it's it's been rough i'm looking forward to today just relaxing and not doing a whole lot of anything maybe some gaming maybe some reading and trying to enjoy some cooler indoor weather all right, let's dive into it. So we do, like I said, we do have a topic of the night. It is a continuation of our Rage Across August event. Uh, we've been covering many topics concerning the game Werewolf the Apocalypse. And tonight we'll be talking briefly about the tribes for the game. Uh, I do have my copy of Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition open on my desktop, so I'm ready to discuss that, and I'm sure Nolan does too. But before we're that, let's dive into the news. Over at Dungeons and Dragons, we are getting ever closer to the release of Icewind Dale Rime of the Frost Queen. I did go down to our local game store, shout out to Puzzles, and secured my copy of the alternate art edition. What are your thoughts on this book, Nolan? Looking forward to playing it, uh, ready to get back into a campaign. I know we were talking about playing kind of a coming back around playing with the people we kind of got started with, which is fun. Uh, we've been apart and... Uh, just kind of busy and separated for a while with uh, COVID and not having a game boy to play and time constraints. So it's kind of nice to get back together with everybody that we originally played uh, so many years ago with. And yeah, I, I think that's probably the part I'm most excited about. See what a couple of years, gosh, three or four now of playing this to see what people come up with characters and not necessarily growth, but maybe some new ideas. Uh, or some refinement of old ideas and see where we're at as players as well. So that's going to be nice. It's going to be great to have the group back together. Now, how that's going to look, we don't know if it's going to be in person or if it's still going to be digital. Uh, it just depends. It seems like every time we turn around, Sheridan's getting more and more cases of COVID. So we have to, to be careful to protect ourselves and our families. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about with Rhyme of the Frost Queen is that 
and this is a conversation Nolan and I have all the time, and it's where we're, we both felt like this would be a great one to apply it to, um, is that we are going to incorporate the D&D Adventure League stuff into the, the actual campaign. So it's going to obviously drag out our campaign a little bit, make it a little longer. But I'm really excited to see the book and the Adventure League stuff working hand in hand, because it, it just seems like it's going to add a lot of depth and, and real, really some uniqueness to our campaign. And it's, a, I think, a place that we kind of, some of us in the group, I mean, probably most of us at this point, have read and, and learned about uh, through novels. So I think it'll be fun to see that from a getting to live there type moment uh, or be a part of it. And again, it sounds like it's going to be a little bit scary as well. So we get to get to have a little bit of uh, fear factors slash the, the, the darkness that we get to play in the other games kind of brought into our D&D world and see if we are serious with it or if we make a big joke out of it kind of like we do with the vampire stuff so <laughs> that'll be fun i'm sure it will be a big joke um looks like the adventure league stuff is coming out i believe september 4th um and of course the story is going to be set in icewind dale um and icewind dale the book itself releases september 15th now you should still be able to pre-order this book through your local game store or on amazon uh, there is the alternate art version. That's the one I secured because I think it looks fantastic. So make sure you get out and grab a, a copy of this book. As for new UAs, I didn't see anything. Did you? I did not. Yeah, I didn't think so, but I thought I'd better check with you because you're more keyed into that than I am. Um, otherwise, there's not a lot of news coming out of Watsi. I know Curse of Strahd Revamped is available for pre-order. Again, it carries that $100 price tag. Sorry, that $99.99 price tag. Uh, I do like that this box set is very reminiscent to the old D&D box sets that you could pick up. Um, I always go back to and talk about the Mythdranner box set that I picked up, and I actually picked up the original Ravenloft box set many, many years ago. Uh, this one will include the, of course, the hardcover adventure book. This is a revamped book to make it a lot more or less racist. Um, the, so you'll get the book, you'll have a cover sheet of Strahd von Zervik with an image of the Vampire Lord on one side and his stat block on the other. You'll get the Taroga cards, which is kind of cool. I, I can't remember, I think Cody had them when we played and we did use those in the game, which was fun. Uh, there'll be some postcards, maps, and of course a DM screen, which is new. And I like the fact that they're adding that DM screen. So it sounds like they're really, you know, packing a lot into this. And of course the box is in the theme of the vampire shaped like a coffin. So this one is available for pre-order on Amazon, and I'd imagine you could probably go to your local game store as well and pick it up. For you digital gaming fans or computer gaming fans, Nolan, this one should be exciting for you. The big announcement of the week has to be the early access for Baldur's Gate 3. What are your thoughts there, sir? I'm curious to see how they do with it. Uh, some of the, uh, the Baldur's Gate games in the past have been pretty... Uh, foundation setting, I think, for me, for storytelling. Uh, I grew up with them, uh, lost many hours into them. Uh, I think I, I don't think I was, I think I was old enough to have probably fallen in love in a weird way with something else before this, but I do remember like my NPC character and me being like, wow, this is a really heartbreaking choice towards the end of the, the game. And like, I, like, I'm actually going to miss this character. Like, this is really weird of I'm missing an NPC from a standpoint of you'd built this relationship through the whole game. And I think it was the first time where I was like, wow, this is really weird and had to sort out my feelings about being in love with an NPC there for a little while when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. So it holds a lot of uh, foundation stuff for me for for gaming and storytelling. 
I hope they do a good job. I know it's going to be a completely different game, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. I know the the reiterations of these type of games through the years. I know Neverwinter Nights, Neverwinter Nights 2 were also really good. So they have some pretty big shoes to fill, but it is the makers of Divinity Original Sin. So they've they've earned uh, they've earned their reputation as putting out good games. So I think they'll do great. I'm curious to curious to play it. I'm excited to play it. I'm scared to see how many hours I dump into it. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be getting recaps and, and I'll explain why in a second. So this will be available September 30th on Steam. Now I my if I remember correctly, it's going to be only available on Google Stadia uh, after the game fully releases. But for now, you can get it on Steam for PC only. You'll have access to six characters, Asterion, who is the elf vampire rogue, Gale, the human wizard, Lazelle, who is the Githyanki warrior, Shadowheart, the half-elf cleric, and Will, the human warlock. Now, I made the mention of hearing about it, and that's because, well, I don't have the system to play this game. Uh, I sometimes feel like I can barely play other games. Uh, so just so you know, the minimum specifications for this, and it does seem low, <clears throat> it does seem low for a big title like this, but you're going to need an i5-4690 or an AMD FX4350 processor, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and a GX780 or R9-280X graphic card. Reasonable uh, recommended specs with an i7-4770K seven, seven, or Ryzen 5 1500X processor, 16 gigabyte RAM, and a GTX 1060 or RX 580 graphics card. Now, I you know my my computer is decent and it could probably play it on the minimum specifications, but I don't want to play a game like this on the minimum specifications. So, I'll be sneaking over to Nolan's house and watching him play it because you can, right? Yeah, I am. I'm. This is. This is why I got the computer I got. Yeah, I mean that's the. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Uh, I've got. That was my big uh, fun treat to myself that I've been saving up for years was upgrading my system, and I'm ready to try and break it. So this should be good. Yep, and I'll be every once in a while looking over your shoulder to see how it looks. <laughs> Heck yeah. So they have not announced a price at this time, um, and I wonder if you know if you get in on the early side of it, if that price will apply to the full cost of the game. Who knows? Uh, so keep in mind September thirtieth for the early side of Baldur's Gate three. That's it for D and D, unless you have something else. I don't. Okay, let's take a walk to the Onyx Path. The big news for Onyx Path is a successful conclusion of the Kickstarter for They Came from Beyond the Grave. Uh, if you're a backer of this one, you should be receiving a compiled manuscript of the game here soon. This is, I kind of, I like this feature that they give you the compiled manuscript because it is going to take a while for this book to get fully published and printed and, and shipped to you. Uh, so this does allow you to go ahead and start playing. Uh, I like also that during the campaign, they do go ahead and release the manuscript. So, you know, a little bit chapter at a time. So you're, it's, it's, it's a nice teaser. It lets you see what you're paying for. Uh, and I do enjoy that. So that is really all the news for Onyx Path. I mean, they had some new releases this week. Uh, Heroic Land Dwellers for They Came From Beneath the Sea. The Storyteller's Screen for They Came From Beneath the Sea. And Dark Air is Changing the Lost Compilation. These are all released recently or on drive through RPG for print-on-demand options. So you can get those products. Um, it does look like the next Kickstarter for Onyx Path is going to be Scion Demigod. 
Uh, this will be a supplement for the game Scion. Don't know anything about this one, guys. It looks like it's going to be about two weeks before it launches. I didn't see anything else. How about you? I didn't either. It's, it's kind the, of a quiet it's the time. awkward time. Yeah, I was going to say it is getting ready for back to school and all that. Uh, and it's kind of announcement season as well. So I think right. we got a lot of stuff coming out in the next month or two. So Yeah, Cyberpunk. I really can't wait for Cyberpunk. Although I'll Should probably end up buying it on console because I don't have a computer to play it. Oh, that means you're going to be getting a, a next gen something here soon. I guess. Um, over at Modifius, I, again, nothing new for Modifius, guys. Uh, I read in their development blog there are some updates for the Skyrim RPG. I don't, I didn't dive too much into that one. Um, we cover so many games that I just figured I'd mention that there are some stuff on the development blog if you guys want to check that out. Over at Chaosium, uh, looks like they're promoting a, a, a book, S. Peterson's Field Guide to Lovecraftian Horrors. Now, I'm not sure if this is a new book. Um, well, I know it's not a new book. I'm assuming that this is an updated book for the most recent edition to Call of Cthulhu. Because uh, it does say, I did see that there are some reviews for the book that dated back to 2016. So it just makes me wonder if it's either an updated version or a simply a product feature. Not in the show notes that I sent you, Nolan. Uh, because I forgot to add it when I was doing it, is uh, uh, Bite Size Gaming. Our friends over at Bite Size Gaming are getting ready to launch a new Kickstarter. Like I said, this is one of the things that I was I get so excited about, about covering these things. Uh, this is going to be an, a follow-up to their successful Kickstarter, Oceanic Depths. This is Captain Hartchild's Guide to Rare Dragons. This will launch on August 31st, so be sure to check it out. I do have a link in the show notes. And, and just so everybody knows, the folks over at Bite Size Gaming, I mean, they're friends of the show. They, they've come on a couple times now. They've had me on their show. They've invited me to come play in one of their games, and I, I need to make time for that, too. Uh, they, they just do great work, so... Make sure you check them out. Uh, I do have a link to the Kickstarter. You can also find them on Facebook. So that is the news that I've seen, unless you have something I'm missing, sir. I don't. I don't either. So why don't we take a quick coffee break, and we'll come back and exhaust ourselves talking about the tribes for Werewolf. Sounds good. Patrick here with 307 RPG, and I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you so much for joining us on this 100 episode trip that we've been on, and we're looking forward to continuing with this show and doing even more. So if you have an idea, if you'd like to have us talk about something, please drop us a line and let us know. And, and further, if you don't mind, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. Little things like that go a long way for us. Well, looks like we're coming back. Enjoy the rest of the show. So our topic of the day, today Noel and I are going to be discussing the different tribes for Werewolf the Apocalypse. Now, because of time constraints, we're not going to be diving super deep into the tribes. Instead, we're going to take turns talking briefly about the tribes and what we do or don't like about them. Keep in mind, this is all based on Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition. And I wanted to mention uh, that currently Onyx Path is having their Dog Days of Summer sale over at Indie Press Revolution. And so if you're a fan of deluxe copies of books, you can grab a co deluxe copy of for Werewolf, and it carries a price tag of 100 bucks. Now, if you think that's super expensive, which it is, but keep in mind, that's 50% off. And I also wanted to say that my youngest son recently purchased the 20th anniversary edition for the deluxe edition for Vampire Dark Ages. And holy hell, is that a nice book? Yeah, it sounded like it was really good quality. Oh my gosh, I actually can't wait to show you so you can see what I was talking about because 
I have completely blown away by this book. And, and the Dog Days of Summer Sale ends on August 31st. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm, I'm genuinely, seriously hardcore thinking about picking up one of the books. And I don't usually spend $100 on books. <laughs> um, I would say, hands down, especially if you're going to try and get them on, uh, on sale, it is absolutely worth the money that you're going to spend on it. All right, enough of that, though. We're going to talk about tribes, and the first one up is the Black Furies. Did you want to go first, or do you want me to? Uh, sure. Uh, no, it was an or question. Uh, I could go first. <laughs> okay, good. So uh, Black Furries are... Here's the thing I, I noticed about it, too. I, I always draw parallels to different parts of the games and stuff like that, and, and I thought this one here uh, really... I guess I didn't know what to expect reading about it. So the Black Furies are, let's see, I had a little brief thing. There it is. Uh, Black Furies hail from the ancient Greece and are fierce warriors defenders of sacred places. The tribe is all female, though they sometimes allow their male metis to become full members of their tribe. Uh, their tribal totem is the Pegasus. And that was on page 48 of the book which uh, when I first read, just kind of going through like the Wikipedia and stuff like that, reading that it was this all female tribe, I was like, um, and, and, and how they were uh, staunch defenders of the wild, uh, high battle prowess. I was like, oh, these really remind me of Amazonians or the Amazons. And, and then seeing that they were from Greece and see, you know, it, it really pulled in. And I think maybe all that stuff kind of hit because the Wonder Woman 84 trailer just came out. I don't know. Um, but I thought... It was kind of neat to see this 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 group of uh, defender style strong women um, with the Greek background. It, I don't know that that was kind of the the brief overview I got out of them. But I was like, okay, they're Amazons. That's that's awesome. And I don't know if that's what they intended. I mean, it kind of feels that way. Um, but very, I don't know. I think you're right. I you know thinking about the Black Furies and where they hail from, and especially being all women. And and it's funny because I've known about the Black Furies for years, but until right before you started talking, I didn't draw that conclusion until like like I said right before you started talking. But I do think you're right. I mean, White Wolf has done a good job of trying to pull from historical eras and or. or and add that into this. So, with these being from Greece, why wouldn't they be the Amazonian types? Yeah. Uh, they talk about black fury appearance, furries with a strong purebred have particularly dark fur and crinos, hippos, and lupus, often with white, gray, or silver highlights. Purebred is rare among fury meadows, as their fathers are inevitably from other tribes. Uh, I didn't, I think I didn't know a lot about the totems as well and, and what that meant, which I thought was kind of cool, them having the Pegasus. Um, and then it talks a little bit about who they are with the... Uh, uh, that Hermes was in there. Uh, so it did. It really had a really fun Greek vibe. Uh, ancient Greece. Uh, the the art from the book is really cool. Uh, so I don't know. A brief overview. Anyway, they reminded me of Amazons. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, th I found interesting about the Black Furies is, is in this, you really have to know your World of Darkness lore here to, to, to catch on to what I'm talking about here is, um, and, and Nolan, you'll, there was a Malkavian in um, the uh, Giovanni Chronicles. It was actually, uh, guys, I'm referencing the game that we played in The Last Supper. Uh, my wife played a Malkavian who was embraced by this Malkavian in particular. I cannot, for the love of gosh, it's just forget. I can't, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Anyway, she was an oracle in Greece. 
And she, the oracles in Greece, now keep in mind, this is a vampire. The oracles were protected by a pack of black furies. So you have this, this really, this epitome, this, this, I shouldn't say epitome, this representation of the worm in this Malkavian vampire who is being protected by black furies. And I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, I don't know. And I think it's because of my background with, uh, with vampire and stuff like that. I think I took that and I was like, holy crap, you know, these are bad guys. <laughs> and that's like, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I forget that I'm the bad guy. Sometimes my bad. Yep, exactly. So yeah, Black Furies, all female warriors, typically hailing from the area of Greece or originally hailing from the area of Greece. Um, <laughs> they're badasses. That's, I mean, that's really all there is to it. But most yeah. tribes of werewolves are. So the next tribe is the Bonars. And one of the things that I like about the Bonars is if you really wanted to play a Garu who is uh, like uh, a homeless person because their totem is the rat, uh, Bonars are great are great for that aspect. And, and really, you get to know the city because typically Bonars dwell in the city at the street level, which that's really how you get to know the city is at the street level. You see things that other people don't because, well, you're the homeless person that they just tend to ignore. Um, as a result, Bonars are not very well liked slash trusted by other Garu. Uh, and mostly because, I mean, they, they live in the cities, which are just strange. Um, it says the tribe's actual origins likely lie somewhere or in or across a band of land that stretches from northern Africa to India, but the Bonars stopped keeping track of that a long time ago. They spread out to follow humanity and always attach themselves to the wretched and the downtrodden. Their oral history is full of revolutionary stories of the oppressed defying and overthrowing their oppressors. Bonar, Bonar folk heroes are creatures of Robin Hood and John Henry Mould. If somewhat more bestially violent when uh, dealing out retribution and social injustice. So I could almost see, you know, playing a Bonard that is that homeless person that maybe he protects, he or she protects, you know, this, these, this block and, and protects those people who happen to live, you know, on the streets in this block or even the children on the streets in this block um, and just takes care of everybody. Uh, I, again, they're not typically trusted by other Garu just because uh, where they're from, but a, a really neat tribe nonetheless. Kind of reminded me of like a, a Nosferatu uh, version, I guess. Yeah, I could see that. Um, just because it kind of talked about uh, you know, looked down upon, not really cared for, uh, but kind of knowing what's going on a little bit, you know, like seemed like they were able to get some, some information. Yeah, it's, and I think you're right in that, you know, that Nosferatu aspect, like I said, you get to know the street because you're that, you just kind of blend in because you're the homeless person that nobody really pays attention to. And the Nosferatu mm -hmm. being masters of obfuscate can do that as well. So, Nice correlation there. Um, why don't you tell us about the children of Gaia? All right. So the children of Gaia, this tribe does not claim an ancestral homeland, considering itself to be made up of citizens of the earth and ambassadors of peace and justice. Some Garu make the mistake of thinking this makes them weak, but when the children of the unicorn choose to fight, they fight with righteousness. So the, the children of Gaia, which uh, I kind of took from it, was almost like the, the religious zealots of of the group it, it screamed paladin to me um just because they're they're very much balance peace kind of one nation um 
but when it comes time to fight they do it with the uh the almost uh, crusader god wills it type situation and in that i think that pushes towards a uh a highly scary fighter i suppose when you believe you're doing the right thing for the right things versus just showing up to fight um they talk about uh i don't know i i I guess the big thing i took away from them was they very much were just kind of bring people together the unity uh almost hippie i guess i don't know it was kind of interesting yeah it's I never drew that paladin correlation until you said that. That's that's a really good point. I, mean, I could absolutely see that from the children of Gaia. That that almost righteousness that they have. Um, you know, we we are peaceful. We want peace, but we can absolutely destroy if we need to, uh, and and will to protect our you know to protect Gaia. So yeah, that's I didn't even think of them that way. But leave it to you to draw something back to a paladin. Of course. If there's a way, there's a, or there's a will, there's a way, yeah. Exactly. So the next tribe is probably, well, not probably, is my favorite, and that's the Fianna. Um, this is the one character that I played over a long-term campaign was a Fianna, and I absolutely loved her. She was a fantastic character, and I love this tribe. And, and a lot of that is because, you know, we talk about finding yourself within the game, and this really draws upon my history and where I come from, and that's Western Europe and, and the people, the Celtic people. And, and the children, or the Fianna, are absolutely those, those Garud. They are the ones who hail from Western Europe. They have a particular fondness to the people of the Celts. Um, so you have, you know, Irish, the British Isles, uh, and, and you really draw that and you see that in the artwork too, because they have like reddish tinged fur. So these are the warrior bards, the warrior poets, galliards of the Fianna have a particular place of honor within the tribe. And these are the ones who are going to sing the songs of all the battles that were well fought and lost. They are going to, you know, when there's a, a moot, um, they are the ones who are going to like do the introductions. I think, um, <laughs> think a knight's tale, and was it Jeffrey Chaucer? I believe it was that was heralding uh, Heath Ledger's character every time he came up to. Um, to joust think of that that would be a fiana that would be that galliard who's making these grand you know introductions and, and bringing people in and then they're warriors i mean these are the warrior the warrior bards these they will grab their glaives and and throw down with the best of them and just i i just love this tribe love everything about them yeah, it screamed uh vikings to me a lot um vikings yes i i think more i think get offenders screams vikings to me more than the fiana do um but yeah i could see that my thought was the uh the, the drinking side of things like it seems oh. like it just likes a big party <laughs> well <laughs> that's that's fair so yeah fiana absolutely my favorite tribe and you get to talk about one of my other favorite tribes nolan Nice. Uh, the Get of Fenris is, a, is proud of its Scandinavian heritage and prouder still of their reputation as fearless warriors. They're unapologetically bloodthirsty and savage and carry a wide survivalistic streak. Survivalist streak. Fenris himself is their tribal totem. Um, seem like they, again, yeah, 
uh, harsh warriors who embody Nor's ideals, battle prowess above all else. Um, but I also like that they are very much honor and uh, respect honor and also cleverness. Um, but yeah, most get of Fenris hail from Nor's homeland of Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark, and Scandinavia, but have spread into more uh, Germanic uh, countries like Austria and Germany over the centuries via migration. They uh, got a little bit of... Uh, big bloodthirsty war mall kind of uh yeah look to them. That, the, the art on them is really awesome uh, i like that they are uh huge gray wolves and mostly it's kind of one of those things of the more scars you have the more honor you have i, I don't know yeah it, it i get you it, it definitely screams viking raider right um and I know there's been some some concern about the Geta Fenris when it comes to and, and keep in mind, you know, in the 90s, things were written a lot differently than they are now. And so I know a lot of folks are just referring to these guys as the Fenrir instead of the Geta Fenris. Uh, and it's to try to pull away from that whole. There was a lot of Nazi stereotypes uh, when it came to this tribe in particular, and that wasn't how they were supposed to be written. Um, these are the warriors. An Ahrun Fenrir is terrifying to behold. I mean, they—that's what they do. These these guys fight, and like you said, and you can see in the artwork, they wear their scars with honor. Neat tribe. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the Fenrir and what they do. Um, I, I always think when there's a, a grand or a grand um, moot that these are the ones who are going to be standing guard. These are the ones who are going to make sure that nothing comes into the cairn. And probably nothing will. <laughs> right. So the next tribe is the Glasswalkers. Now, I, I like the Glasswalkers. Um, what I like about the Glasswalkers is they're, they're really this, this weird kind of contradiction of what the what the Garu are because the Glasswalkers will kind of latch on to the Weaver, which is if you listen to the episode with Carrie and I, this is part of the triad. And the Weaver is, you know, the technology aspect of of the world. And it's very corrupt. It, but the Glasswalkers tend to use the Weaver a lot more than anybody else. They embrace technology. And if you look at the artwork, I mean, it looks like the guy's carrying a laptop bag. He's got a a gun in one hand he's got a bluetooth earpiece in uh this is not you know whereas everybody else we're seeing the the krinos form here we're seeing the human form of this tribe the glasswalkers are, are werewolves unlike any other they've largely abandoned the ancestral ways in favor of the cutting edge and always adapting a blend of technology and shamanism they actually prefer urban life meaning living in the city to the wilderness and defend the scabs as centers uh of of a vibrant ecology and all its own. Even if that ecology is often wounded or diseased, it can be made healthy, the glasswalkers argue. The other tribes often call them the Hura or tainted ones, but the children of the cockroach, which is their totem, won't give up the advantages of modern achievement just to repair their reputation. So you're not going to play a black, or well, you could probably play a glasswalker that's, you know, has fallen from grace and is no longer fighting for Gaia and maybe has sided with the worm. But typically, yes, you're going to deal with some of the tribal hatreds, but Glasswalkers are Garu in that they do fight for Gaia. They are trying to, you know, defeat the worm. They just choose to do it a different way in a way that other Garu don't like to see. Um, 
I, I think they're a fascinating tribe. I do think when you play this tribe, you will have some issues because of the stereotypes that are thrown at them. Uh, if, if people play that, uh, typically I find it's best to just embrace other people within the group and you have more fun. I liked Glasswalker probably the most, I think, after reading it, which I didn't expect. I thought that was kind of, but I think, again, a lot of my stuff is, uh, I'm starting to appreciate uh, Nosferatu a lot more and Vampire and these kind of another one of the ones that kind of seemed like outcast and and more knowledgeable. Um, it also, so, I mean, just to, with the, the modern world, I think it would be a fun person to be that connection that, uh, like you said, challenges the group a little bit just from a standpoint of you've kind of forgotten what you are and at the same time, you'd be like, no, I've adapted to the real world and you may not like it, but we need each other in this situation type thing. So I think it could make for an interesting party. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the Glasswalkers is that they, they do embrace technology. And I like that this was added to it because there are going to be those werewolves, so those Garu who decide, you know what, maybe there is something to this and we can use it. And I do think you're right. There will be challenges when you play this if people bring those stereotypes in. But nothing is going to be as challenging to play as the tribe that you're about to tell us about. All right, so next we have Red Talons. In many ways, the uh, antithesis of the Glasswalker, the Red Talons are a tribe composed entirely of lupus geru. They strongly favor reinstating the impigrum, calling humanity's numbers and driving them back to the, their, into a subservient position. Their savage totem, Griffin, agrees. Uh, yeah, definitely more difficult to play. I think we've attempted to play with one in the past. Um, yeah, we did. And yeah, just never leaving wolf form, I think makes it really difficult depending, I suppose, depending on the campaign. See, and that's, that was, that's probably my biggest issue with the red talons is that they typically are in lupus form. And even when they are in human form, you know, they, they speak very seldom, they growl or things like that. I think playing a, a red talon would be very difficult. Yeah. And, and I think it would again be the, the campaign as well. Um, if you're playing a in the city type situation and you're playing a, uh, a tribe that believes that the only way to heal guy is to kill every human on the planet and let everything sort itself out, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, and I don't, I mean, I, I think you get that need for this class to balance things. I, I'm not a huge fan of classes that instantly are just there to make things shittier i guess for people and maybe i'm looking at it wrong or something like that but i feel like it's one of those things of it's kind of like when you have like an entire group of lawful evil characters and you've got a paladin in it and you're like okay this is we're eventually going to fight why are we doing this type situation right wrong or indifferent this is going to cause issues at some point let's you know like i don't know sometimes just starting with knowing there's going to be some bullshit can be a little frightening so Right. And I think, you know, if you do play that lupus glass or that lupus red talon and who prefers to constantly stay in wolf form, I just I mean, I suppose there could be some interesting opportunities for role playing, but it, it just seems to me that you're almost pushing yourself out of the group. Um, so I, my, I would say if you're going to play a red talon, um, make sure you talk it over with your storyteller and, and even other players in the group and, and try to identify how you're going to do it because I could see this being an extremely difficult tribe to play. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so next up we have the Shadow Lords. And I always associated Shadow Lords with the Ventru. And that's because the Shadow Lords tend to be like the leaders. They are the ones who, I mean, and they are unforgiving leaders too. Uh, they, if I remember correctly, like a Philodox Shadow Lord is whew, <laughs> rough to deal with. Uh, so it says the strong dominant, the weak, uh, sorry, the strong dominate, the weak submit. This is the core of Shadow Lord philosophy. Intensely political and coldly pragmatic, the Shadow Lords practice a rigid internal hierarchy and promote an equally unforgiving value system for the Garu nation. Their very presence is divisive. Other tribes view their manipulative tactics as a reason to distrust the lords or complain that anyone so ruthless is marked for eventual corruption. Some would argue that they should be cast out of the nation entirely, but the shadow lords are far too valuable. Their methods are often dishonorable and sometimes cruel, but they get results. I mean, yeah, these guys are... Like maybe even a mixture of Ventru and Nosferatu. We keep going back to Nosferatu. That's interesting because they. I, I was gonna say I was thinking of La Sombra when this one came to it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's probably a better one. Good and call. I think a lot of it just had to do with the picture. You got kind of the shadow raven over the top of this thing that's violent and and uh, thinks they're in charge, is in charge. Would you know? I think Ventru kind of will. They'll show their presence, but at the end of the day, it's like. I think violence or force is kind of their last resort. Yeah. And they're going to do things in the background. I mean, if you want to think about, you know, as close to a vampire as, as you can get with doing things in, you know, in the shadows or even, you know, around behind people's backs, shadow Lords are really going to be those ones who do that. Uh, they're, Interesting tribe. Uh, I do think, again, you would have some difficulty playing this if you played it the way the the tribe is written. I could, I could see you playing this character. Nolan, you and I have talked about playing that lawful evil character in a, in a campaign in D&D where, you know, it's like, yeah, you can do this, but I'm going to have to kill you if you do. Or or is working, you know, behind the scenes to corrupt the whole town, you know, things like that. That's the kind of character I see a Shadow Lord being. Yeah, and I, I think it would be fun as well as being maybe new or fresh kind of thing or whatever. So you come in it with the uh, kind of, uh, this is everything I learned at the Academy of being a bad guy. And you get out there and you see the world and kind of for what it is. And, and I think that could be kind of fun where it, it would be fun to kind of question what you know or what you've learned. Um, and I, th I think this would be a hard one to be like a really old one stuck in his ways with a group of people. Like you said, it would be kind of difficult in fighting and being like trying to keep the peace. So, Right. Right. All right. On to the star or silent striders. Sorry. Uh, silent striders were exiled from their homeland in Egypt and now claim no homeland. They run from place to place serving as messengers and scouts for the Garu. But the children of the owl never forget that they were once gods in ancient Egypt, nor do they forget their hatred for Setuka, the vampire who banished them. Uh, this here, even from the picture itself that we get, uh, it looks, they, they look like wandering nomads. I mean, it, it does, it looks like a guy that's not drifter hobo-esque either, which I thought was kind of neat as well. Like I didn't, I was just like, oh, they're, you know, like a Ravenos or something like that. And But it seems like they're more of just- A ranger? Could be, yeah, a, a drifter, a traveler. Um, yeah, I could see that as well. Uh, and maybe that's because I got Strider in their name. So, yeah. 
could be. Yeah, I, you know, the Silent Shredders, it, it really, it, especially if you look at the artwork, this closely resembles Anubis, if I remember correctly. I'm getting my Egyptian mythology correctly. Mm -hmm. I could tell. Um, so you, you do have a little bit leaner, not the heavy, like, North North American wolf. Um, is, and I do think that, I don't know, I like the Silent Shredders. Of course, I like most of the tribes, so... Uh, I think it's interesting that you do have these people who are cast out of their homelands by a vampire, by, you know, the worm as it were. And they, they are, it's a constant struggle for them. And and I, I like that this is one of the few tribes that you read about that they're not saying other tribes distrust them or anything like that, because they're the ones who go out and scout for the Cairn and, and, you know, kind of keep things in line. And, and boy, if a vampire crosses their path, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yep. I think it's one of the ones that we've seen. Like, I think all of them kind of have their their niche or their thing or their hatred, but that's theirs is pretty specific. And other than that, they are just kind of there for everybody. I mean, it's it mm -hmm. is a neat one. It would it would be a neat. Um, I don't know. I don't know what what you would play them as other than kind of the maybe the, the mediator for the group, right? And I think it'd be interesting to throw this kind of this tribe in with a pack um i think about this tribe here and in, in like uh uh the mandalorian you have this wandering bounty hunter who seems to always be in situations where he's having to to help people out or even the uh classic tv show kung fu with david carradine same kind of situation and and typically when it says here when a silent strider comes into a cairn because they are wanderers a wise leader would understand that they probably should take a minute and listen to what the silent strider has to say because they usually have critical information um so i i yeah i i like the silent striders and i i think they're interesting all right we've got the silver fangs yeah uh, so their brief description the revered leaders of the garu nation at least to hear them tell it the Silver Fangs follow Falcon as their totem. The tribe is Russian by ancestry and has a long history of pure breeding, nobility, and courage. Their modern image, however, also includes accusations of inbreeding and insanity. I This one here was uh, kind of reminded me when we talked about that, of like that Malkavian side, just from a standpoint of I've always viewed Malkavians as probably the scariest vampires. And if they weren't crazy they would probably rule the world. Um, <laughs> like, I, I think their curse is probably keeping the world safe. Like, they're the only vampires that are cursed to protect the rest of the world, I think. Um, they, uh, but yeah, because of because of their breeding system, because of their, their claim to be pure blood, or bloods, pure, wow, that's rough. Uh, because of their claim of that, uh, it is a lot of hinted inbreeding. It sounds like they're they're one of the few that are killing themselves because of this. Uh, uh, I don't know forcing of the pure bloods. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the is it the Lannisters? Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, not that they were based on that or anything like that, but it did kind of remind me of that one of those things of like where every now and then you get some sick ones or there's something inherently kind of wrong with them at the core for whatever reason and whether that's from trying to keep the pure blood or, or whatever. Um, I think this would be one of the classes too where, or tribes that um, 
you uh, another good one where you could be young and trying to maybe break the cycle or break the mold or you see the corruption with fresh eyes and and that's why you're with a party versus staying home um i think this was could be kind of your for me i could see it as being kind of like the that edge lord class that you get to play where it's you know my my world is sick and i have to fix it and you've got this weight on your shoulders it, or you could also like i said be the batshit crazy malkavian um and and play the uh uh the best way to describe it is like a dervar uh where they're just so full of themselves and nothing can touch them i think that would be also fun from a, a comedic relief standpoint as well of just be like oh aren't i great you know gaston i guess would be kind of a a style oh, yeah there you go that would be a lot of fun just kind of that do you, do you want me to handle it nobody can handle it like i can because i am a silver fan you know it's like <laughs> i can dig that yeah i i think probably the silver things are my least favorite tribe um i don't typically enjoy playing characters who act like that um and, and even like when I think about the character, you mentioned Dervar, a character that you have played in the past. I never thought that Dervar was full of himself so much as he was just kind of almost naive and, and but also felt like he had to protect everybody. And he just was so exuberant to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's kind of maybe not knowing your own, like you said, yeah, oblivious to their surroundings. I don't know. It seems fun. I could see uh, an older Silver Fang being kind of like uh, King George, and I can't help but think about Hamilton and Jonathan Groff singing the song "We'll Be Back." Yeah, or "You'll Be Back." Sorry, I could see an older Silver Fang being something like that. Yeah, okay. I think you, you'd have a lot of fun with that one. I agree. So the next tribe is the Stargazers. Um, this is an interesting tribe in that they are the smallest tribe in the, within the Garu Nation, um, and that's mostly because of the creed that they follow. They pursue meditation philosophy and lucid dreaming to master their inner self, to master their rage. Um, so the other thing about the stargazers is that they have their own martial art. It's called Kailindo. It's derived from the study of the winds and their spirits. Um, a skilled, uh, a skilled Kailindorani is, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, is allegedly able to shift forms more quickly than other Garu, dropping to a smaller form to avoid a blow or swelling to a larger form to add weight to a takedown, which really is kind of fascinating. If you think about it, like that punch comes in, boom, you shift lupus form and then you immediately shift right into Krinos form to add that, you know, more oomph to that punch that you deliver back at them i mean that's some quick shifting in stargazers are you know the ones who do that kind of stuff uh and, and again very very internally you know they think about themselves and try to to master their inner selves these are like monks especially mm -hmm. um uh shaolin monks uh, they have their own martial art and they use that as moving meditation versus and, and yes it is a very lethal combat system as well but the emphasis is going to be more on that moving meditation and mastering their inner self. I like this one's probably my favorite just from that standpoint. I like that idea. It it, it sounds like a, I think we were talking recently about like Spider-Man creating its own fighting style for what they are and kind of seems like a mix of some judo as well, you know, just kind of the ability to shift and be unpredictable and seem like a lot of fun from a combat standpoint. Uh, you could do some neat things with it and, and the descriptions would be really cool. Right, right. 
So we have two tribes left. And before we dive into those last two tribes, I just want to take a minute and just say, yes, there are names for these two tribes, but we're going to refer to them a little bit differently. And that's because the names are actually a little bit derogatory towards Native Americans. So the first tribe we're going to refer to as the older brother, and the second tribe we're going to refer to as the younger brother. So Nolan, if you want to take older brother first. Yeah, um, I, I think these two are what native to North America, which I think a lot of the other ones have all been Eastern Europe, Far East. So finally getting to some American ones. Um, I like the, uh, I, it's an interesting one just because it seems like they explore the darker side of things. Uh, they will go where others won't go. This one did kind of scream La Sombra a little bit more of, of that to me as well. Just seeing anything as a tool to get the job done, even the things that are a little bit less natural. Um, and, and, and we'll use that to, to do it, whether it's vampires or ghosts, uh, dark mystics. Um, and I, th I another one that I think would be difficult to play uh, in a group just because of distrust and that kind of stuff there. But again, depending on the campaign might be the one that you have around um, kind of as your expert on the situation to uh, you don't want them there, but you need them there because they're going to understand what's going on better than most because they've stared too, too much into the darkness. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I like about Older Brother is their their direct ties to the occult. And, and I have a weird fascination with the occult. And I think it's interesting that this is a tribe that is willing to look into, you know, deeper into the Umbra to figure things out, you know, and, and, and to really tap into what's going on. They are masters of discovering worm tape, no matter how subtly hidden it is. Um, so it's interesting older brother is really very shamanistic and it really pulls on in my opinion a lot more the the earthy shamanistic religions and and that willingness to dive deeper into the mystics the mysticism to get the answers you're searching for yeah i think it's uh when i think about shaman and balance and stuff like that um I always end up going back to Thrall, I think, as far as the elements go. Yeah, from World of Warcraft, sure. Yeah, and and I think that's like when I think about this one here, it was like, oh, this is uh, this is Thrall after dark. Like when the you know, it's like these are the these are the people that their time to mess with the elements is after the sun goes down. Or I, I see their rituals being kind of the other shade of you know, so opposite Thrall. I don't know what that is, but that was just kind of the thing. Like I don't ever think about sitting in the middle of the dark messing with the elements i always imagine shamans being out in the bright of the day and being one with not necessarily nature but just pulling on that power and then all of a sudden you have this exact opposite right right so the last tribe within this is again just the core rule book for werewolf the apocalypse 20th anniversary edition there are lots of other tribes lots of other shape-shifting breeds that you can look into we're just talking about the main tribes here so this is the younger brother uh, the younger brother are, when I think about like those Native Americans who were willing to be part of a war party and go out and, you know, defend their lands to their dying breath. That's what I think of when I think of younger brother. These are the ones who are they're pissed off because Europeans came to steal, murder, and conquer their lands. And 
they've forgotten very little of that and they have forgiven even less their anger is according to the book their anger is hot as blood of, on the snow and their hatred is cold and unyielding as glacial ice so younger brother is the warriors they're the warriors within the um native american tribe or yeah native american garo tribes they will fight and fight to the death uh, and there's a little bit of distrust between them and older brother in that older brother tends towards the mysticism. They tend more to, you know, killing, taking your heart first and then asking the question. So they are much like the get offenders and, and they are they're warriors. That's what they are bred to do. That is what they want to do. And they have a chip on their shoulder and they are going to fight. And I like that they see just about everybody as invaders of their land as well. So this would be another difficult one or could have some friction of, um, I, I think every other tribe is basically an immigrant on, depending on where you play to them, you know? So I think that's one of the slow to, slow to warm up, but also at the, at the same time, uh, opportunity to create uh, maybe some lasting friendships or something like that. You know, some good bonds can be made playing this class in a party. Um, right just because of I, I think the people that are the most closed off and, and narrow-minded also potentially in a, from an rp standpoint have the most room to grow and so yeah i think that's a good point and i think you could create some really interesting um rp moments where you do have these you know i'm this staunch defender of this and i hate everybody and suddenly you have to defend somebody or that person comes to their aid in such a way that you start breaking down those 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 stereotypes and and you mentioned stereotypes nolan and i wanted to just talk quickly um because each tribe within the book there is a list of stereotypes on how they view the other tribes and i was going to read younger brothers just real quick uh so the stereotypes under black furies it says there's little justice in the world is there only what you make with your hands. Bonars, they do what's necessary to survive, understandable, but they have given up their pride, which is more than I am willing to do. Children of Gaia, too little, too late. Fianna, they offer hospitality and assistance from within the cairns that they took from us long ago. Such lore masters should sing less of their glory and more of their shame. Gedefenris, no loyalty and no honor. Respect for strength is not a virtue, it's just fear. Glasswalker, this is the world you wanted. Are you happy in it? Red Talons, your anger is very like ours, cousins. But would you defend our kin in the way we defend yours? Shadow Lords, be certain they understand that we reject their bargains and we will defend what little we have left with our fang and claw. These crows take only what e what's easily gained. Silent Striders, wise, sad strangers. They don't turn on their neighbors to make up for what they've lost. I almost wish I could want to be like that. Silver Fangs, they failed us long ago. They still fail us today. Stargazers, you can trust them. They want nothing of their own save understanding. Older Brother, Older Brother is as desperate as we are now. His faith is as crooked as a serpent totem, and I fear it's taking him into places darker than Older Brother's den. So interesting that, and again, each tribe has those stereotypes. And I think it's interesting, you know, when you start to play the game, you can view those stereotypes. Try not to let yourself get pigeonholed into those stereotypes, though, because like Nolan said, there could be some really cool RP moments where you start to break down those walls. Well, Nolan, that's it. That is all the tribes in the book. The quick and dirty version.
the quick and dirty version. Um, and of course, every tribe has a full page on them or a couple pages, I should say, with some amazing artwork within the book. And remember, the book is available in PDF format on DriveThruRPG if you want to take a look at that. And I highly recommend you do because it really is a fantastic game um, with some just neat art, well, amazing artwork and some great opportunities to have some amazing stories. Now, we have covered for the last four weeks this game and technically, Nolan, we have next week, which is still August. Oh, boy. I know. I'll have to figure out what we're going to talk about to wrap up our rage across August. But we do you have anything else that you want to add on the tribes before we call it a day? I don't think so. I, I, I will say that I know like when we were first looking at it, you had a bunch of other like books as well, right? You had the little thin books that had each tribe in it. Yep. So originally, in, and I think it's second edition and revised, there are tribe books for each of the different tribes. Yeah, and I, I really liked that a lot, um, just from a standpoint of, again, you get these brief glimpses into it, and it's, you know, like you said, a page and a half uh, in the book, you get a little summation of it, you can find stuff there. Um, but I think that they are all so complex that if you do just read the little the excerpt from it, you can see those stereotypes. Um, and it makes it really easy to not fall into, but it, it doesn't give it the oomph of why they are the way they are. And those little books I know really helped me kind of see more of why they were the way they were, the, the, the lore behind that reasoning for it and, and just some of the history in it as well. So I, I thought that was a neat thing and I wish more games would probably do that. I don't know if that's just a way to sell more product, but I didn't feel like it was thrown together. I didn't feel like it was just hey, we're just going to put out this little product. No, I felt like they were good quality with lots of information. Uh, and I think that was probably my biggest takeaway, I think, from all of the werewolf books of just how deep down the rabbit hole you could go with some of those books and, and, and just, the, I guess, the world of darkness in general of how if you really want to get involved, you can, you can really jump deep into the world. That is a really good point. Um... And that's something that White Wolf did as a whole with all their books. You could get tribe books. You could get kith books. You could get um, uh, clan books. And I know when I was originally buying the books, I couldn't get them fast enough. I loved the tribe books. I loved the clan books. And apparently, I was listening to some of the dev developers talk, and, and apparently they were not very popular. Um, really? Yeah, I couldn't buy them fast enough because I just thought they were amazing. And like you said, you learn so much more about them. In fact, it's because of the Fianna tribe book that I went on to read a lot more about not only shamanism, but about Celtic mythology, because there was so much of that lore mixed in, which is what White Wolf tends to do. There's so much of that history mixed in that I was completely fascinated by it. And I learned a ton outside of the game that I was able to apply. Uh, the same is true with Vampire. When I read the Storyteller's Handbook for the first time, it turned me onto music that I had never heard of before and set me on a journey of a love of Gothic and industrial music. So I think you're absolutely right. Those tribe books are great to get. Um, you can buy, I think uh, you can buy, I mean, in uh, 
like multiple books in one. Uh, eBay is a great place to go. Drive through RPG, of course, is a great place to go. I think you can find some of them on Amazon. So if there's a tribe that you want to learn more about, uh, don't hesitate to grab the tribe book because they're they're well done. Now, obviously, we're on 20th anniversary edition, and there is no 20th anniversary edition tribe books. The second edition and even the revised edition still gives you a lot of lore and history about those books. And again, I've said this before, Nolan, that one of the things White Wolf does is a new edition comes out. They don't just expunge what they've done before. It's not just a reset button. You can still apply that stuff to the new edition. Yes, the rule sets have changed a little bit, but the lore is going to be very similar. So, Nolan, I don't have anything else i don't either um we'll have to figure out what we're going to do next week but we will do something for to wrap up our rage across august but until then nolan we've come to that point of the show where we like to tell people how they can get a hold of us uh, i'm on twitter at n lemires and of course i'm patrick and you can find me on twitter at pretty much well pretty much all the uh social media is at 307 rpg and i just I just want to take a minute and again, thank everybody who has joined us on this 100 episode journey of ours that frankly, we didn't know if we'd even make episode 10 and here we are at episode 100. Um, it has been a lot of fun. It's been cathartic. And I think both of us really look forward to sitting down and just, I mean, hell, we do this at work anyway, but we get to sit down and really focus our conversations and learn about so many different games. I agree. So thanks everybody. And I guess we'll catch you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody.